Welcome to Zen Chakra. The goal of this podcast is to bring you the best tips and techniques on things like energy healing, the law of attraction, the chakras, lucid dreaming, meditation, and emotional freedom from some of the best minds in the New Age sector. Join us each month as we open up the conversation and help you on your journey to enlightenment. Hello, hello everyone. Happy New Year. Welcome to Zen Chakra. I'm your host, Amanda, and to really kick off New Year in a big way, I have an interview lined up with the very well-known astrologer, Tom Brady. Tom has a master's degree in philosophy from the University of New Mexico and began his part-time astrology practice in 1972 while he was a builder. In 1988, his practice had become so large, astrology became a full-time occupation. Unfortunately, Tom's expertise and years in the business has created a larger practice than he can handle, so he no longer takes on new clients. But his insights into the world of the stars can give us all a greater understanding and appreciation of nature and its natural rhythms. Have you ever had one of those days? How about one of those years? Chances are, it was written in the stars. The planets are symbols that when aligned in certain ways, can read like a weather report. Just because there's a hurricane outside doesn't mean that you're bound to the indoors. However, you better be prepared to weather the storm. In the fall of 2008, great change started to take place. If you didn't see it or feel it, you were probably living under a rock or under the age of seven. Saturn, Uranus, and Pluto were all aligned at 180 degrees. What does that mean to an astrologist? The perfect storm. Saturn is our safety and security. Uranus is the shocks in life, and Pluto stands for great change and transformation. Certainly a pivotal time in our history. The last time this alignment had taken place? The 1960s. Also a time of great change. Astrology is not fortune telling. It is more like a heavenly weather report that helps us understand and see trends. But it also lets us know when it's summer and when it's winter. Our ancestors used astrology for worship, ceremony, and as a way to honor their heritage. Cultures that were close to nature understood these natural rhythms of nature. Unlike today's city dwellers, whose main connection is sealed up in an office building and concrete floors. Join me as I sit down with Tom today to discuss the events of 2012, what we have to look forward to, our economic climate, and what to prepare for. Hello, Tom, and thanks for joining me on the show today. Thank you so much for the invitation. One of the first questions that I had for you is that you used to be a builder, and I was wondering what got you interested in astrology. Uh, I work with a lot of builders, and I can't say that they know very much about astrology or even would be interested in it. Well, it actually worked the other way around. I started as a builder. I mean, I'm I'm sorry, I started as an astrologer, and... uh, I read my first chart for a client um, and uh, spent three hours with them, uh, asked for $10 uh, in payment. They refused to pay me. They thought it was so bad. Uh, And I realized pretty quickly I was not going to make a great living uh, at this uh, until I got much better at it. So I had to find another profession. I was married at the time and had two small children. So I had to find another profession uh, to pay the bills uh, until I could get good enough with the astrology. And uh, I fell into the building, and it turned out I had a gift for it and uh, stayed with it for 20 years, actually, built some of the first uh, solar houses in the state of New Mexico and uh, back in the 1970s. And um, it served me very well. I made a, a promise to myself that I would read every chart that came my way, which I did uh, in evenings and weekends over those 20 years. And at the end of 20 years, I had enough of a part-time practice that uh, I was able to uh, move it to full-time. My body actually stopped on me. Uh, I had physical problems and had to stop the building. Uh, I enjoyed the craft part of the building. I didn't enjoy the business part of it. Uh, so once I couldn't do it anymore physically, I just went over to the astrology full time. And actually, looking back on it now, I think that was sort of my uh, soul's way, so to speak, of 
telling me it was time to make that transition. So I've been now a, a full-time practicing astrologer since 1988. Wow, I find that really fascinating. So what did you do to really prepare yourself and become a better astrologist for future readings? Well, again, I just knew I needed more practice. Um, astrology, astrology, there's a certain basic knowledge that one has to acquire. Um, but but if you're going to try to talk to other people about this stuff, you also have to develop the communication skills. You have to develop counseling skills, in effect. And um, so I knew it would just take me time to do all that. So, uh, so again, I just made a promise to myself that if anybody asked me to read a chart, I would do it. And just did that for many years and got the practice. I took a few counseling courses in different schools and um, and just slowly uh, acquired uh, the skills I needed. It actually worked very well. I loved the combination of the physical work and the mental work. In fact, when I had to stop doing the building work and went over to the astrology full time, at first I didn't like it at all because it was just all too mental. And uh, there was a very healthy balance between the building and uh, and the part-time astrology work. And I probably would have continued that again if my own body hadn't revolted, basically, and says, okay, we've given you plenty of years to make this transition. You're not making it, so here, we'll push the issue a little bit. That's, again, uh, I ended up as a full-time practitioner more out of necessity than out of choice at that point. Well, it sounds like you're probably right. It was probably more of a spiritual path for you. I know so. I mean, it was just clear to me that, I mean, it wasn't like, it was just the the, the problems I had physically were just too strange to be uh, not sort of engineered in, in a certain way. And many of them cleared up once I stopped doing the building. So it was almost like, Again, uh, like you said, it was Spirit's way of making me make that move, and then it says, okay, we don't have to persecute you anymore here. (laughs) Well, people tend to associate astrology with fortune-telling, being very woo-woo or horoscope, but it's much more than that. What exactly is astrology? That's a great question, but not real easy to answer. First of all, astrology is immensely old. The first evidence of people with some awareness of these different uh, lunar and solar cycles uh, is about 35,000 years ago. That was a, a kind of very rudimentary awareness at that point in time. They, they, they have unearthed uh, what they call goddess figures. Archaeologists have found these goddess figures in the Middle East and in Eastern Europe with with lunar symbolism with with real simple calendars moon calendars uh carved into the figures and stuff so that was we believe the beginning of people becoming aware that that there was this larger environment that we were living in the midst of and that somehow that environment was cyclical and that if we followed those cycles they could help us understand certain things about just even the seasons of the year. Originally, in in most of those 35,000 years, astrology was just a a way of sort of acknowledging, uh, it was a way that people acknowledged their oneness with the rest of life. Uh, And it was mainly in the form of ritual. The kind of astrology that we're familiar with today is actually a very, uh, a rather recent invention. It came along after uh, literacy began after the astrologers began to be learn how to read and write. Uh, actually, that changed astrology hugely, uh, and that's when uh, the whole kind of fortune telling thing uh, began to come in. And it was more it was more a creation of of the way literacy makes us think than it was essential to astrology uh, uh, per se. So. Uh, as astrology got processed more and more through uh, literate thinking, became more and more uh, a system of making objective uh, uh, predictions or, or uh, trying to, again, uh, understand these patterns in ways where the astrologer was more disconnected from the pattern and just studying the pattern 
instead of again be, being ritualistically actually involved in the pattern. What we actually think, so we've had 2,000 years of literacy now, and, and uh, that's all coming to an end with the digital revolution here. Uh, and so we're seeing in astrology a kind of, from my point of view, a, a huge shift beginning to occur. People begin to think in, in, in post-literate patterns now. Our technologies profoundly shape uh, the way we think, uh, and we can see uh, these new technologies now changing the way people think, uh, and there's all sorts of speculation about how, what this is doing, etc. But astrologically, what it's doing is it's returning us to this idea that the chart is a way to, again, experience oneness with the rest of life. In other words, we're looking at these big cycles of planets and uh, all the other elements of the solar system here, and somehow we're a part of that. It, it isn't like those planets are out there uh, making us behave in any particular way. They just, they're doing their cycles and we're doing our cycles, and for some reason they all seem to line up with each other, and we don't really understand why, but it after 44 years of working with these astrological symbols, uh, I'm pretty convinced that there is uh, that alignment going on. And I just find that uh, that I am more successful in my life and happier in my life if I'm working with those alignments rather than if I'm just sort of crashing ahead uh, come hell or high water. In other words, if I if I'm doing the things in summer that are appropriate to summer and doing the things in winter that are appropriate to winter, I'm probably going to have a little easier time in my life than if I'm trying to do uh, something that's appropriate to summer in the middle of winter. But this has all gotten lost in our culture. It's slowly starting to come back now. And astrology is one of the ways it's coming back. So uh, to me, what this is, what this stuff is, again, is a way to align ourselves with the rest of nature uh, and uh, be empowered by that and be in harmony with that and be less intrusive and less damaging uh, to uh, the rest of life uh, on planet Earth here. And we are really disconnected. And really disconnected. I mean, we've been hugely disconnected. When, uh, when, when people learn to read, before uh, literacy came along, uh, people were very connected to each other and to the rest of nature. When you learn to read and write, especially when you learn to read and write in private, uh, you learn how to step back from the rest of life. You learn how to disconnect. And if you've ever watched a small child um, trying to learn to read, they squirm and they, they have a terrible time staying put. Uh, and they have to force themselves. And actually, we understand that, they're, that what they're doing is they're forcing their visual sense to become dominant over the rest of their senses. The rest of the senses keep distracting us. You get a smell, you hear a sound, et cetera. And if you're going to read, you've got to be just totally into what you're looking at. And before literacy, people weren't that way. They were, they were what we, their senses were what we call in harmonic balance with each other. And now, as a result of literacy, our senses are synchronized to the eye, uh, everything in our culture is visual, uh, and uh, even these new technologies are so emphasized, so much emphasize again the visual displays, etc. As as computers evolve further, I think what we'll see is multi-sensory ways of uh, letting the computer uh, communicate with us rather than just these silly little screens we send, spend so much time. Well, you know, I really find that interesting, too, because I think that the digital age is also a part of the problem with our disconnect. Earlier, we were talking about the natural rhythms and the astrological chart and how that plays into our rhythms, and that brings up our astrological charts. Uh, I know that you've read for me before, and it was really important for me to know the time and place of my birth, and I just wanted the audience to have a better understanding of what an astrological chart is and why that information is necessary to complete a reading. An astrological chart is essentially a map of what the solar system looks like from the perspective of a, where a person is born at the moment they're born. In other words, 
the chart is radically person-centered. It's like the whole universe is, is operating around each individual person. So the chart is your perspective on the rest of the solar system, the rest of the universe. So what the com we use computers now, obviously. To, in fact, astrologers were one of the first groups of people to make use of personal computers. When, when personal computers first were invented and came out, the, the, uh, the software magazines used to make fun of the astrology but would praise the quality of the astrological programming. So uh, we do it all by computer now, and what the computer does, again, is create this little snapshot, symbolic snapshot of the solar system uh, at the moment a person is born. And the, the time is immensely important because uh, of rotation of the Earth. Um, the rest of the members of the solar system here appear to be spinning about us. It's really us that's spinning, of course. But uh, astrology is based on appearances, not on, it's, which is an interest, it's not on, on, on astronomical facts so much. It's what it looks like to us, not what it is in itself. So in effect, the chart is like a, a roulette wheel. It's continuously spinning, spinning, spinning. Uh, and we, in order to be able to make any sense of it, we have to stop it. And so the computer stops it at the moment a person is born. And technically, from an astrological point of view, that is when uh, the child takes its first breath. Because at that point, the child become, begins to become an independent organism. Now, we can also cast a chart for a business. We can cast a chart for a country. Uh, we can cast a chart for any organized body of information. If we have a date of birth, a time of birth, and a place of birth, we can create a birth chart for that entity. And one of the basic ideas in astrology is whatever energy a person or a business or a country is born under, the energy of that moment carries forward somehow in their experience. And so the birth chart becomes a map then, uh, that moment of birth becomes a map of the general patterning of a person or a business's whatever experience in the course of their lifetime. So uh, the birth chart shows us essentially what is possible for a person. It's a sort of snapshot of their potential, a snapshot of their possibility. So the more we become ourselves, the more we seem to grow into kinds of energy flows that the chart seems to be describing. Uh, my favorite way to describe a chart uh, is that it's a map of the way energy moves through our lives. The best analogy is like the, the uh, circuit diagram for a piece of electronics. If you get a, well, it isn't so much anymore, but you used to when you'd buy like a transistor radio or something, they'd give you a little circuit diagram with it uh, in case you needed to get it repaired. And that little diagram showed the way that the electrons would move uh, uh, through the instrument, through the circuit boards. Uh, and that's kind of what the chart is showing us. It's the way energy moves through us. Now, it's all in symbolic form. We don't believe those planets, again, are out there or those zodiac signs are out there doing anything to make us behave in certain ways. There's no causality as far as we can see. There's just some kind of alignment. Um, and so we treat these, uh, we treat charts symbolically. We say that they're symbolizing something uh, and why they're doing that and how they're doing that, we honestly don't have the slightest idea. So we don't even worry about that. What I worry about is whether or not the information I'm able to give a person helps them align with the energy flows in their life in a way where they come back to me and say, I'm definitely more effective in working with these challenges I'm having. A lot of people approach astrology and kind of want it just to give them good news. Well, uh, that's wonderful if uh, if that's what the chart's talking about, but the chart's not always talking about the pleasant things of life. I mean, most of our lives are filled with great difficulties. And what we believe the, the value of the chart is not to help us find when the good times will be there, but to help us work with the bad times especially, or the difficult times, 
so that, again, we can minimize their negative impacts on us. And, of course, it's nice every once in a while to have everything kind of the sun shining on us, so to speak. But I actually think the charts are much more valuable when a person's in a real problem, when a person's really backed against the wall by some circumstance in their life, that's when the chart can be immensely helpful again in helping them navigate that situation. As you mentioned, I think that it's important for people to be able to recognize basically the source of their energy and it explains a lot about why we do certain things or the the patterns that we have because when things are right that means we're in alignment and when things are wrong we're not in alignment with that energy exactly and I also think that it's very valuable for us to know when we are in a winter cycle as opposed to a summer cycle because it really does help us understand the way that our energy is flowing and why things might not be lining up for us or maybe not working out for us, there's a, a planetary reason. It's as if it's written in the stars. And just one more reason for us to get connected again and to get back into those natural rhythms and cycles of nature. I think getting reconnected with the simple cycles, the daily cycles, is one way to uh, begin the kind of changes we need to make if we're going to be sustainable from this point on uh, uh, on the planet. I've I've had um, in the last two years now I've had a one a whole group one after another of young parents coming in with very small children saying to me we're not sure it was such a good idea that we have had children because we're not sure there's going to be a a, a decent future for them. Um, and at first, I didn't pay too much attention to that, but then it was happening again and again and again. I go, I said to myself, "What's going on here? You know, this, these young people are they're they they're so discouraged by their situations. A lot of them unemployed, etc., tending towards despair. But for instance, the astrological, the main astrological configuration going on right now and for the next six years." is a combination of the planets Uranus and Pluto, uh, which move very slowly. They form patterns very rarely with each other. The last time they did this was in the 1960s. And now they're back again for the first time since then. And because these planets move so slowly, they hold in this pattern they're in, as I just said, for six years here. So they are the dominant astrological signature for the next six years. And we call this shocking transformation. Uh, it's been in effect for about 18 months now or so, and it continues through 2017. And uh, so what I've been saying to these young people is, well, I can certainly understand why you're discouraged by what you see going on around you, especially in our country here. Uh, but if we're ever going to see the kind of changes that would give your children uh, a successful uh, future, a future worth living, then this next six years is absolutely crucial because this kind of symbolism suggests the possibility of making the changes we need to make. So sometimes I say this to people and they think I'm exaggerating, but uh, again, from my point of view, I'm not exaggerating it at all. I think the next six years are the most important six years in the history of the human race because I think they're going to determine what the future of the human race looks like. Living in bubble cities in huge uh, pollution does not sound to me like a great future. That's not what I would like to see the younger people have to deal with. The astrological charts are, are basically saying, okay, if that's not the future you want, you got to do something about it in this next six years, or from that point forward, it may be too late. Well, and I think that it's important to point out that the last time that we went through this radical change was in the 60s. And if you think about it, I mean, we dealt with the assassination of JFK, Martin Luther King, the Civil Rights Movement. These are all very, very pivotal times in history that started that seed of change. Yeah. As, you know, astrology is all about cycles. It's all about circles, circles in time. Um and uh, we measure cycles of planets from conjunction to conjunction. A conjunction is a lining up of the two planets in relationship to the Earth. 
And some of the very fast-moving planets, the ones closer to us, closer to the sun, like Mercury and Venus and Mars, they form conjunctions with each other pretty regularly. But these very distant planets, Pluto isn't even considered to be a planet anymore. It's called a dwarf planet now. Well, it's still a planet in my book. <laughs> but in astrology, we're doing something more akin to poetry than to science. So planet, dwarf planet, it's all the same to us. It's all part of the poetry. So Pluto's the most distant body, whatever it is, in the solar system. And Uranus is uh, the the second, mo third most distant uh planet from us and so they move immensely slowly in relationship to us and right now they come to conjunction about once every 140 years the last time was in the mid-1960s the next time will be about uh, 2105 and so a conjunction like occurred in the 60s starts a new cycle in this case again uranus symbolizes all of the shocks and surprises of life, all of the changes and innovations that come very suddenly and very unexpectedly. Pluto symbolizes all of the really deep, profound transformations in life. So in effect, they're both planets of change. They're just talking about different kinds of change. Uranus is sudden change. Pluto is deep, slow change. You put the two together, and we call it, again, shocking transformation. It is the most dynamic, uh, uh, exciting, but at the same time turbulent and wild combination of planets possible. So uh, about once every 140 years, they come to conjunction. It varies because uh, Pluto's orbit is elliptical, and, and depending on, it takes it 250, um, either that or 260, I can't remember right now, uh, it takes it a long time to go all the way around its orbit. So at certain times, Uranus catches it a little faster than at other times. Right now, it's about every 140 years. So the 60s started. The, the conjunction is the beginning of the cycle. The best analogy is the life cycle of a plant. The 60s were the planting of a seed of shocking transformation. Uh, I was uh, uh, 20 in 1965. Uh, and the mistake I made and a lot of my contemporaries made at that time was I thought all of the changes were going to happen right then. What the astrology has taught me was that was just the beginning of a cycle of change. We have to get halfway through the cycle to see whether the change is successful or not. That will be in 2047, 2048. Right now, those two planets are at right angles to each other. So here's the best analogy. The 60s were when the seed of change was planted. 2011 through 2017, the seed is sprouting. And 2047 to 2048 will tell us whether or not the seed has successfully produced change. And if it has, that change will continue to unfold and develop until 2105 when a whole new cycle begins. So this next six years is really critical in terms of taking the beginning that the 60s represented. And of course, so many people who may listen to our conversation here weren't even alive at that time. Uh, most people have heard the mythology of the 60s, but that's just the most superficial aspect of it. Those were really remarkable years because you could just feel something new beginning. You, it was just in the air. And that's why all of the young people were saying at that time, don't trust anybody over 30 because we just didn't think anybody over 30. They were too locked into their lives to get what was going on. Uh, but again, we made the mistake of thinking it was all going to happen very quickly. And, and at the end of the 60s, when, when you know, we end up with Richard Nixon as president of the United States and the Vietnam War dragging on and dragging on, people started to get very discouraged and went and became stockbrokers and stuff, which <laughs> uh, was just because we didn't get that this was a much bigger, slower change. It was going to take a lot longer for the change than we understood. That's what astrology showed me. In fact, that's what got me interested in astrology in the first place. It was the only thing that made sense of the 60s to me. It was the only thing that showed me a way to look at the 60s that helped me to go, now I get it. Now I see what's going. So what do our world points look like then between 2012 and 2017? 
I mean, I assume that this includes everybody uh, across the world as far as this radical transformation takes place. Well, look at it this way. This configuration of Uranus and Pluto is in every person on the planet's birth chart. In other words, everybody has a birth chart if, if they knew it. Again, if everybody had their birth chart, it would be cast for, again, the date, time, and place of their birth. So everybody's got that potential chart. And everybody that knows their chart or who has gotten a copy of it you know, from someone or created one with their own software or whatever, um, has that Uranus-Pluto, we call this a square relationship, this right angle pattern they're in right now. Everybody has this Uranus-Pluto square someplace in their birth chart. See, we not, only look at, we not only look at the pattern of planets at the time a person was born, we also look at the pattern of the planets today or at any time we want to, and we correlate the two patterns. And the pattern of your birth chart is essentially a fixed pattern. Again, the computer takes a snapshot of that moment. It's like your thumbprint. It's, that's your pattern for life. But all of those planets kept moving, and they're still moving. And so we can watch the way this current moving pattern is crossing that fixed pattern. And the best analogy for that is like it's like weather fronts coming across uh, the country here. So right now, we're under this big weather pattern symbolized by Uranus and Pluto. And everybody has that weather pattern someplace in their birth chart. If it's in a not very important place of a person's chart, then the, then the shocking transformation is going to go on more around them than land right on top of them. If it's falling across some of the major important places of the chart, the major symbols of the chart, like the sun and the moon in a person's birth chart, then it's not only going to be happening around that person, it's going to be right in their life in a very, very personal way. So uh, the astrological chart is a way to, uh, to help a person understand how this shocking transformation is trying to manifest in that person's life. And, uh, you know, in my experience, again, that can be immensely helpful information because this is huge change. Like I said, this is the most changeful combination of planets possible. It's... it's in that sense, again, it's immensely exciting, but immensely challenging to people because everything's changing. 2008, 9, and 10, where the major astrological configuration was a combination of Saturn and Pluto. Saturn symbolizes all, block, all uh, I'm sorry, all processes of blockage and delay. Saturn-Pluto was blocked transformation. The keyword we used for those three years was stagnation, and of course that was the global financial collapse and basically the the corporate takeover of the world. Um, and we all expect there was there was a lot of predictions in 2009. Uh, in 2010 for stock market collapses, some of the uh, financial astrologers. And that, of course, did not occur. And it dawned on me one day, well, of course it didn't occur because the Saturn and Pluto was the symbol for the, 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 the kinds of entities that were in control of our financial situation. And, of course, they got stronger than ever through uh, those years. So it was actually... Instead of their downfall, it was their triumph, basically. Now we're into six years of shocking transformation, totally different symbolism. So we've come out of the stagnation picture. The, the general knowledge of what's happened in terms, again, you know, with the Occupy movement's mantra there of we're the 99% versus the 1%. A few years ago, people didn't get this. They didn't understand what was happening here. That's what the that's what the stagnation picture again. When I said that was the ultimate victory of this way of of being in the world, this uh, corporate uh, dominated again funneling all the wealth of the planet to into the hands of a very few people. People get it now. Uh, I mean, it is so amazing to me how people are waking up at this point in time. I have a close friend who's a physician in Buffalo, New York, in a very blue-collar, working-class neighborhood. And I saw him uh, a few weeks ago, and he said to me, he said, you know, all my patients get what's going on. They all understand now who has done what here. They just don't know what to do about it. 
Um, but, you know, again, people are getting it. They're seeing what's going on here. And so now uh, that's what happened in the 60s with Vietnam. It took people a little while and with civil rights to get what was going on. And then at a certain point, there was like a, a, a shift. And enough people got what was going on that they said, okay, we aren't going to do this anymore. And that's what I think we're pretty close to now at this point in time is another one of those big shifts. And I think we'll see it probably uh, next spring and summer. If the Occupy movement can just hang on through the winter here uh, and keep the whole thing going, I think they will see their ranks swell hugely as we get into the late spring and summer of of 2012, this year rather, and the first exact right angle pattern of Uranus and Pluto, when they reach exact, when they reach this exact right angle pattern, it symbolizes the energies at its peak. The first exact uh, right angle pattern is June 24th, 2012, uh, and then there will be seven exact patterns. These planets go in and out of exactitude because they're moving at different speeds and moving forwards and appearing to move backwards. It's all an illusion, but we call it retrograde movement. Anyway, they go in and out of this exact right angle pattern a total of seven times between June 24th, 2012 and March 16th, 2015. So that's the real heart of the shocking transformation. And uh, I mentioned that we can have charts for countries. So we have a chart for the United States because we have a date, time, and place of birth of the United States. And in that, uh, in the U.S. chart, the sun symbolizes the heart of the country, the heart of the nation, and it symbolizes the president. And this shocking transformation picture uh, over the next three years now will cross the sun of the U.S. chart much more powerfully than it did in the 1960s. Things in the U.S. were pretty wild in the 60s, but it's quite possible that we're going to see, uh, again, a very turbulent time now as this transition from this unsustainable system, economic and political system, is challenged. If enough people challenge it to move in different directions, we could see that movement occur uh, again in these next few years. But it's going to be very, very turbulent. So then what does 2012 look like for our economy, humanity in general? Uh, and small business, is this a time where we're going to start seeing a major shift away from traditional government? The, the thing I learned in the 60s, again, is there's a tendency to want all these changes to happen all at once. Um, I'm not sure it can happen that quickly. You know, Again, we don't want to make the same mistake we made in the 60s and expect the whole thing to change. We get a lot of that problem with people's uh, understanding of the whole uh, 2012 thing around the Mayan calendar, etc. These cycles, again, unfold for quite a while. The change that started in the 60s won't be complete until 2105. What I'm hoping we will see in the next six years is some of the really crucial changes that set us again. You know, we had the 60s, and then we had this tremendous conservative backlash after that, and we've basically been living in that until... Now we're back into this progressive uh, planetary pattern again. So if the next six years can just get us pointed in the right direction, I think that will they will have served their purpose here. Economically, uh, I would be very surprised under these planets uh, if we see any kind of stabilization, if we see any kind of return to what the economy used to look like. This is pretty... From my point of view, this is a pretty good indication that the economy as we've known it uh, is basically done, uh, and that it, it has to be not recovered but recreated here. So what this really, uh, and this is global again, this is not just in the United States, except, again, we're going to see it very powerfully here in the next few years because this is so powerful in the chart of the U.S., much more powerful than in the chart of any other country except Japan. Japan has it going on big time right now, and of course that's the Fukushima tragedy, which is worsening and making them rethink their whole, uh, you know, 8% of their landmass is contaminated now. They basically don't know how to stop the the meltdowns, and they're, it's really uh, 
you know, forcing the Japanese people to say, wait a minute, what the, you know, how are we going to live from this point forward? So we expect to see something similar, not necessarily a nuclear disaster here, but we expect to see some big crises develop that push the United States in that direction over this next three-year period here. They could be directly economically related. The last time we had Uranus-Pluto was in the 1960s. The time before that was 1929 to 34. It was the Great Depression. So Uranus, this shocking transformation picture, has been around in times, again, of very serious financial problems. I don't think we're going to see that, though. I don't think we're going to see, because the system just survived the biggest shock it could possibly have survived, which, um, again, I don't think we're going to see a collapse at this point. What I think we're going to see is, again, the people who are being shut out by this whole thing, which is most of us, the 99%, again, uh, just kind of starting to go their own way and saying, we can't live this way anymore. You know, if you look back to two billion years ago or two million, whenever it was, when the dinosaurs were collapsing and the mammals were coming in, uh, the mammals were already running around the feet of the dinosaurs before the dinosaurs uh, basically were done in by the climate changes and stuff. So I think we're seeing an exact parallel here. The new world is already here. Erin Dottie Roy, the Indian writer, says in one of her books, she says, a new world is drawing close. Sometimes when I'm quiet, I can hear it breathing. And so this whole... Uh, this we we have the technologies to live differently we 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 know what we need to do we know we need smaller more sustainable economies instead of these mega economies but the system's not going to change the system to me again is the dinosaurs the dinosaurs didn't know how to do anything different than they knew how to do and these corporations don't know how to do anything different than they're doing so what I think we're going to see, again, is a lot of entrepreneurship. I think we're going to see a lot of people, you know, just downsizing in different ways. You you shared with me before we started the recording that you've been downsizing your business and stuff. I think that's totally appropriate under these planets. You want to be really agile and quick. You want to be thinking mammal and not thinking dinosaur at this point in time. So there's going to be tremendous opportunities uh, for people who are willing to, again, take their businesses, take their economies in these new directions, there's going to be plenty of people who try to uh, hold to the old pattern. The analogy I like to use with people is uh, the Titanic is going down. It's just going down in slow motion here. Pieces are breaking off. Uh, you know, we're starting to see the ecological uh, impossibility of continuing on this path. So, you know, uh, people are going to choose to stay on the Titanic, and some people are going to choose to get in the lifeboats and get off. So I just think, uh, you know, when, again, when I have these young parents come in and say, you know, what should we do for our children? I say, get together with your friends and start coming up with a different way to have a, a life than the culture is giving you at this point in time. You know, if we go back to the 60s again for some clue, people were dropping out right and left at a certain point in the 60s. They were leaving their corporate jobs. They were leaving uh, what they called at that point the establishment. There was a tremendous polarization in the 60s between uh, people that were uh, considered radical and people that were considered establishment. Uh, and people were leaving the establishment and going to the radical side and that's when the communes came in, and that's when a lot of that experimentation uh, reached its peak. So I think we're going to see the same thing in the next six years. I think we're going to see a lot of people looking uh, for ways to get off the Titanic, for looking for ways to be able to have uh, a healthier life for themselves and for their children. Our food supply is poisoned. Our water supply is poisoned. Our air is marginal at best. It makes no sense in terms of any intelligent human being to stay on the Titanic at this point, getting off the grid, getting off all the different ways that our lives are controlled by these mega entities and having more control over our individual lives. In any way, any person can do that. Uh, I think they're in harmony with this energy, and I think the business world is going to reflect that. We're going to see, again, 
uh, here in New Mexico, there's a huge movement towards more local food production. Uh, I think that's immensely healthy. There's all of these experiments with different kinds of monetary systems, the time bank where you trade time instead of cash for services, et cetera. I think these are all really, these are the shocking transformation. The, the revolution is not going to come from the top down. Our president has shown us that once again. Uh, it's going to come from the bottom up, and it's, it's, uh, that's what the Uranus Pluto is really talking about in my mind. You know, I have to say, I really like the idea of taking things, getting things back to the basics, buying from my local merchants, buying my food and my supplies from local sources, and really getting back to that connection side of things rather than the disconnection. We are such sequestered beings now. We all live our own little independent lives, and very few of us even know our neighbors anymore. We don't even know the local stores that are down the street most of the time because we're so wrapped up in ourselves. Yep, totally. So I really welcome the idea of taking things back to basics, getting rid of the monetary system, getting rid of the establishment, and really taking things back to the way that they used to be, or rather, the way they should be. Yep. When I was a, a small boy... My parents were all from farming uh, families in Illinois, and they had left the farm and gone to the cities, and we would go back to the farms, the different relatives' farms, in the summer. And every farm had its garden, and every farm had its cows and its sheep and its pigs. Uh, and then uh, in the years after that, uh, the gardens all disappeared, the cows and the sheep and the pigs all disappeared, and people were growing corn right up to their doorsteps. There weren't even lawns anymore. And I was back uh, in the part of Illinois where my parents were from uh, last year, and the gardens are starting to come back. I think that's incredibly hopeful. And, uh, you know, one of the biggest movements going on quietly in the United States is people starting to garden again. And that connects people to these natural cycles. That's deeply astrological. I mean, we, we use these planets to symbolize these natural cycles, but it's the natural cycles we're really interested in here. And you can, you can get involved with these natural cycles by looking at planets, or you can get involved in the natural cycles by getting your hands in the dirt and growing yourself some lettuce. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Either way, that's what will get us back to a healthy life. That's what will give the, the children today a future. I'm sorry, these dinosaur entities, they're the problem. They're not the solution to the problem. So, like you said, uh, you know, supporting local businesses, supporting local communities. People come in, they, they were coming in for charts all through the financial collapse, and they were saying to me, what should I do with my money? What should I do with my money? And I was saying, I really don't know. Uh, I don't think your money is your safety net anymore. It's your community. I'd say get to know your neighbors. Start talking about, you know, what could we do as a neighborhood here to uh, be more in charge of our own destinies and stuff. That's, to me, the, the promise of the future, not, you know, uh, again, what our government or these corporations do to, uh, you know, quote, they're going to throw us crumbs. They're not going to do anything more than that because the whole system is so rigged, again, to support this uh, very small group of people at the top. Uh, and those people are not going to let that situation go because they don't know how to live in any other way. Oh, I, I agree with that absolutely. Money is absolutely going away. Our monetary system is going to go away because it's the control factor. It's what's been creating the madness. I just did a blog post about this, about air fresheners, about uh, if you sit down and watch TV, even for 30 minutes, you see everything from trash bags to aerosol sprays to plug-ins to all of these different things, putting the fear of God in us because our house might actually have odors. <laughs> and conveniently enough, we're told that we have to replace them every 30 to 60 days to eliminate odors in our home. That, to me, is the epitome of corporate America, basically telling the consumer that they have to buy a product, which is toxic in our homes. It burns our nasal passageways. It causes birth defects. It has all of these horrible chemicals in it. And we're frantically working to earn that dollar to buy that product that we're told that we have to buy. 
(laughs) And this is something that we discussed in the podcast last month where we're told that we have to have these things, more things to make us happy and we have to buy more in order to have and live a happy life. But then now we're in debt. So now we're unhappy because we have all this debt and then we have to buy more things to get us out of debt. So it's just this vicious cycle that we never get ourselves out of. Yep. And what I've learned from the other podcasts that I've done, and also what I'm hearing from you, is that it's not about the materialistic things. It's about getting back to basics, starting that garden, getting to know your neighbors, getting to know your local merchants, and really building that community. That is truly a happy and fulfilled life. I think I think that's the direction that it's trending in. Again, it may take a while for that to happen. Uh, I just encourage the people I speak to when when I read a chart for somebody, I just encourage that person again to decide for themselves how they want to live from this point forward. Do they want to continue to live again on the Titanic and be a, a debt slave, etc., or do they want to get off? Once you start to get off, it's very exciting. Life gets very interesting again. Yeah, I agree. And uh, But yes, I mean, all of this hyped up consumerism, et cetera, people see through it now. You know, more and more people are beginning to say, maybe I don't need that air freshener. That, to me, again, is a very, very hopeful sign. Mm, yeah, absolutely. So December 21st is a notable and recognizable day. It's coming up. Uh, according to the Maya, Hopi Indians, and other cultures, it's predicted to be the end of the world. And of course, Uh, Nostradamus predicted that it's the end of the world and movies, media, everything's played into this. What can astrology tell us about the December 21st solstice? What are the planets doing that day? Well, first of all, I think it's really important to understand, you know, if you talk about the, the Mayans or the Hopi or any indigenous culture, that they have a completely different sense of time than industrial society has. Time for us is linear. So when we hear something's ending, it's like going off a cliff, so to speak. There's nothing after that. Everything in the indigenous world is cyclical. One ending is a new beginning of some kind. I was listening, I heard this little uh, segment on NPR the other day, uh, where they somebody went to Guatemala City and interviewed a number of uh, different people connected with the Maya uh, about what they thought 2012 was. And the thing I came away with from that, that little segment was they were pretty baffled about why we were so interested in it. You know, to them, it's not that big of a deal. It's okay. You know, this this world is ending and a new world is beginning here. But these cycles are huge. I mean, they're talking 5,000, 50,000 years here. So they don't expect to see most of them. And uh, again, there's all sorts of different opinions, of course. But if you, you know, if I heard one Mayan shaman when asked what the new cycle was about, he said it's a new cycle of women and water. That sounds pretty good to me. I think it's not too hard to argue that most of our current catastrophes are the result of patriarchal thinking. So to see a much stronger feminine influence coming in, I think is a huge part of this change. There was a wonderful article in Atlantic Magazine in the July-August issue of 2010 called The End of Men, and it was an exhaustive article written by a woman who'd gone from culture to culture around the world and just detailed all the ways women are taking over these different cultures in the world. That, to me, is immensely hopeful here. So the day, the, 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 the winter solstice of 2012 is just not that different from any other winter solstice. From a Western, you know, Western astrology is so different from Mayan astrology. They're like apples and oranges. They're dealing with 50,000-year cycles. We're, we're dealing with 250-year cycles, totally different time scales here. And if you look at the Western chart for that day, the sun, of course, on the winter solstice, the, the sun enters the sign of Capricorn. And this Uranus-Pluto, the shocking transformation picture, is right there at the beginning. Pluto's there at the beginning of Capricorn, Uranus is in Aries at a right angle to Pluto. So the sun will be tracking across that pattern in the days right after the winter solstice, but it does that four times a year anyway. I, I think that idea that, that, that something's going to happen on December 21st, 2012, I don't think there's any astrological basis for it. The Mayans themselves don't expect that to happen. Uh, you know, Nostradamus uh, was the one who put the doomsday curse on that day. Uh, and of course, uh, you know, the film 2012 just takes that and 
expands it. So I think what we're looking at, again, is just that the December 21st, 2012 is just as good a day as any to say this is really the beginning of this world we want to see uh, ourselves and our children live in. But I just don't think we're going to see any particular manifestation uh, of that energy. Things just don't happen that quickly. You know, when you plant a seed, you don't even know the seed's there for days and days before it begins to sprout. If you're talking about a 50,000-year cycle, whatever seed is planted, it could take, you know, a 1,000 years before you even start to see what it's about here. So I, I think people are doing themselves a disservice. I think they're scaring themselves. I think, and it's all fantasy land. Convergence in 1987, uh, which was a, a kind of a Mayan calendar run-up to this time, and people were expecting things to happen at that point. And again, it was just a day like any other day. So 2012 in general is just, as you say, another year and... Shocking transformation. Shocking transformation, but in a good way. Here's the real difference. If I've learned anything in my 44 years of working with these symbols, besides how to live much closer to these natural rhythms, which has made me very happy, uh, I like my life. I enjoy my life. I feel just feel part of the natural world. Uh, and the astrology's helped me immensely do that. But it, it's about saying to ourselves, what kind of world do I want to live in? What kind of world do I want my friends and my family and my children to live in? And it's about deciding to, to go this different direction. Everything's going to be pushing us in this different direction for the next six years now, so why not go there? Uh, and why not go there, again, voluntarily, rather than wait to get dragged and kicking and screaming by ecological catastrophes? If enough of us do this, if enough of us consciously choose, this is what I said a minute ago, if I've learned anything in all of this, these planets work unconsciously or consciously if we take them in that direction. In other words, you can either shockingly transform in ways you don't even understand what's happening to you, that's the unconscious manifestation, or you can choose ways to shockingly transform. You you can say, I'm going to quit that job. I don't like it anyway. I'm going to find another way to live. To, to consciously work with an energy is to make choices to align with the energy. And so if enough of us on planet Earth, and that's what I really think all of these prophecies around 2012 are trying to tell us, that just maybe there's enough of us on the planet now ready to make this shocking transformation consciously for the first time in history. And if enough of us do that, and I'm not sure it doesn't need to be everybody, they did a study back in the 1980s of those flocks of birds and schools of fish that all appeared to turn at the same time. And the question they asked was, how many are turning and how many are following? And the number they came up with across species was 15% are turning and 85% are following. If that's a principle of nature, because it was true for different species, then maybe we need 15% of humanity to say, we're going to live a different way. Uh, in order to get the other 85% to just go along with the whole thing. That's doable. My, intu my instinctive sense of things is that we're at about 14.8% at this point in time. <laughs> and over the next, over 2012 here, I think we're going to cross that threshold. And again, I think we will just see more and more people choosing ways to change their lives. Yep, I agree with that. Saw a quote on Twitter just last night that said, you want to change the world? Start with yourself. Yep, exactly. Tom, I know that you no longer take on new clients, but if somebody's interested in getting their chart done, is there somebody that you could recommend? I have a 40-year-old son who uh, does read charts and does a great job at it. Uh, his name is Joshua Brady. He has a website called joshuabradyastrologer.com. He'd be happy to, to work with anybody. Now, Tom, I know that you also have a blog. It's a very uh, weighty mental blog, but would, is that something that you would like to share with the listeners? Yes, I would like to share it, but it's not what most people would expect. I'm not writing about the current cycles and stuff. I'm not giving advice or anything like that. It's called Emerging from the Beams of the Sun.blogspot.com. Tom, thanks so much for joining me on the show today. I can't thank you enough, and it was just wonderful speaking with you. Well, thank you very much again for the invitation. I, 
I appreciate it very much. You're welcome. So, there you have it. A year filled with great transformation that may be shocking, but a year that is also filled with great hope. I myself am looking forward to this grassroots movement of really getting back to basics. I want to thank you for listening today. I'm your host, Amanda, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast as much as I did. If you would like more information on this show or have a question or comment for us, email us at zenchakras at gmail.com. You can also visit the blog at zen-chakra.blogspot.com and be sure to join us at our forum at zenchakra.myfreeforum.com. Bye for now.